but the comp rules for bestow are out. Bestow? Bestow. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 75. With me as always, my enchanting co-host, or so, we got Brian Brilliman. Hello, interwebs. Jess Dunks is having some issues connecting, and so we will hopefully add him onto the call later, or he may not show up at all. We will see. It'll be seamless. It'll be seamless. He'll just, we won't call any attention whatsoever to him joining. He's just suddenly going to be with us talking rules and things. Yeah, it'll be beautiful. Yeah. So this is our big FAQ show where we go over the FAQ to get you prepared for the pre-release, for the people too lazy to read. That's for fun. There you go. That should be our tagline, Judge Cast. <laughs> for the people too lazy to read. Lazy to read. That is basically all we do. We just read the rules or read the IPG or... <laughs> uh, but first, let's dive into some, some quick news. We have a new regional coordinator, unsurprisingly. Uh, wait. Wait. A new a new regional coordinator? Yep. For the... Uh, oh, no. Well, who, 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 who is he replacing? Sean Cadenese. Oh, Sean Cadenese. Also, this is this is the uh, the super secret uh, replacement that was that was hinted at. Yep. Two episodes ago. It One is. episode. Of, some number. Some number of episodes. Uh, that is David Zimmet. Woot woot. Woot woot. Congratulations, yes, David. David. David is bros. Chest bump, Dave. Chest bump. Bump. Podcast chest bump. Chest bump. All right. Yes. We also got a new quote unquote new IPG and MTR. Yeah, this is going to be a jam-packed episode because we're going to go over all the IPG changes and all the MTR changes and all the new rules for the new set. Yeah. <laughs> Start with the IPG. I, well, I hope nobody turned it off right then. They're like, never mind. Opt out. Crap. <laughs> Uh oh. Uh, yeah. So in the RPG, they made it clear that if a delayed zone change trigger is missed, uh, normally we get to put it on the stack either at the uh, at right now or at the beginning of the next phase. So they made the policy clear yeah. that it's whenever a person would receive priority during those times. Ah, uh, well, well. That's it. That's how uh, we all kind of assumed it would work, but there were questions out there. Um, yeah, because it's like, oh, what do you do when you find it at the, you know, during the end phase? And so it happens at the beginning of untap. Does it have, hey, can it attack? I don't know. Yeah. And it just makes it clear. It's going to come back in the upkeep. The first time the trigger could have resolved is uh, when it's going to come back. So these delayed zone chain triggers are like Obsida and uh, uh, Aetherling, things like that. A delayed trigger, which causes a zone change. And that's all the functional, not even functional. That's all the changes in the IPG. Yay. Yay. I think there was like one or two other. Oh, there was like a word change to clarify some stuff that we already knew. Yeah, basically even this one was a was a clarification. Yup. Okay. So and then we, there was some MT. That was, that's, that's and we got IPG. some PR changes. That's yeah. the IPG. Ooh. Actually, I'm really happy about this MDR change, just so because it makes. Here's the funny thing: when I opened when I opened up the um when I op- when I scrolled to the bottom of the release notes, mm-hmm. um uh I started for whatever reason uh on September of 2012 yeah. instead of September 2013, and I started reading and I was like, okay sure change change and then it started talking about changes to missed triggers and i was like what what no 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 the only real 
quote-unquote change the MTR is that they added a section for sealed two-headed giant timings. Um, so there was always timings for sealed team games, but and I always applied those to two-headed giant sealed because two-headed giant is a sealed team. But anyway, they added their own section, and it is the same as the sealed team, which means you get 60 minutes for deck building and 20 minutes for deck registration if you're using deck lists. But hopefully if you're playing two-headed giant, you're not using deck lists because you should not be at a competitive event. Ugh, 60 minutes for deck building. I know, it's miserable sitting there and waiting, but they, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, those that's what it is. That's, that's, yeah. I'm going to go read that. I hope you're wrong. I'm not wrong. I hope you're wrong. I'm going right. to go I'm going to go open it up and I'm going to go read it cuz I hope you are wrong. Well, that's all the relevant changes for the MTR. So, whew, whew. glad we could dedicate this portion of the show to it. 60 minutes. <laughs> It's really boring. <laughs> the I have never, of I have giant never, seals. I have never, ever, 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 ever had people use 60 minutes. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to look that up and I'm going to cross my fingers. And I'm going to hope you just mis- misread that. No, it's always been the same as team sealed because it is a team sealed event. Anyway. You ready for the FAQ? Yes. All right. This uh, this set has quite a few mechanics, but most of them are fairly simple, um, except the first one. All right. I said this last episode, but I'm going to say it wrong at some point. I will still say bestow. I understand it's bestow, but when it comes out of my mouth, it comes out bestow, and you're just going to have to deal with that. Are you looking up that MTR rule? What? No. Turn- Turner is... is calling me and he always seems to try and call when we start recording judge cast <laughs> and he's just like hey 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 if you don't answer your phone i'm gonna go on jcn it's just like go then see if we have yeah. you back on jcn being short for judge cast north all right well i'm gonna talk about bestow while you deal with turner so an, an example bestow card is nimbus naiad <laughs> it's gonna be rough for me uh, it costs two and a blue. It's a two-two. It has bestow for four and a blue. And I'll get back to that. It has flying, and it says enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and has flying. Weird. Uh, in addition to that, it is an enchantment creature. So bestow is an alternate cost that lets you cast the card from your hand. Actually, I guess you can cast it from anywhere if you're being given permission to cast it. Uh, for its bestow cost, and if you do, it it goes on the stack as an aura with enchant creature, and you have to choose a target for it. Hang on. Uh, bestow. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, you didn't trust right. me on that one. No. <laughs> and you just don't trust me today. I need Jess to back me up. I know. Uh, so it'll, it'll be a stack, a creature on... Man, it'll be an aura on the stack, and you'll have to choose a target for it, a legal target. And uh, assuming nothing weird happens, it's going to resolve as an aura, and it's going to be enchanting that creature. It's going to remain an aura until one of two things happens. One, if the aura is on the stack and the target becomes illegal, when we do the uh, check for targets, it turns back into a creature and it will resolve naturally as a creature. It will not be countered. So if you uh, Doomblade the bear cub that it's trying to enchant, it will become a creature. If the also if the R becomes unattached, it will uh, become a creature again. So there's been some discussions about this. We actually spent quite some time discussing a few different ways to make it become unattached. And uh, we're going to go. We don't have the full comprehensive rules here, so we can only go with the best information we were able to glean from the FAQ and also maybe Matt Tabak's Tumblr. Yeah. Tabak's Tumblr. Yeah, where he kind of said some things. So a few things is like, because there, there was some discussion of, well, what if it's already enchanting a creature and that creature becomes, uh, gains protection from the color of the, uh, of the aura, right? Normally, the aura is just put straight in the graveyard as a state-based action. Um, the FAQ actually doesn't cover this situation. 
but Matt Tabak did on his Tumblr, and he said he said it'll probably be an exception, maybe somewhere in the state-based actions or something like that. But it will become a creature in that situation. Yeah. So so ba- basically, if it's gonna fall off, if 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 something happens to the creature that makes the enchantment fall off, mm-hmm. uh, it's gonna it's gonna instead of falling off and going into the graveyard, it's just gonna like plop. And it's a dude. Yeah, just all situations that make that happen, just make it a dude instead. So the action, the action's really simple because most people put their enchantment uh, underneath the the card. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of picking it up and putting it in the graveyard, you just pick it up and put it right back down like an inch below where it was. There you go. There you go. Um, now we also have a question of what if you use some ability like Simic Guild Mage to move the aura from one creature to another creature? Does that count as it being unattached? I don't think we have a definitive answer to that one. No, we've we've got we've got hints that it's going to be handled when we get the comparable. So we're trying. So obviously we're a rules heavy podcast. We want to be able to answer your rules questions. However, the FAQ um, is pretty much designed to handle questions that could come up during the pre-release and you know common questions. Uh, moving attachments around, uh, uh, sorry, moving enchantments around, uh, like a, like Simic Guild Mage isn't common. That is not a frequently asked question, right. and that that can't even happen at Peru. I don't believe it's possible at all. So, so we'll come back with the definitive answer to that. But at least we have a pretty definitive answer to the protection because that can happen during the pre-release. What else about bestow? So a bestow card. Ooh, it is sixty minutes. That's. <laughs> <laughs> a bestow card. Yes. Just yeah, it is. It's always been sixty minutes, man. I know you don't. Yeah, but you know, you know what? That's recommended. Whatever. So you know what? As long as you announce it beforehand, you can make it fifty. <laughs> it's come on, guys. All right, a bestow card. It's always either an aura or a creature. It is never a creature and an aura. It's never both. It's an enchantment creature, but it's never enchantment creature aura. Some other more minor points is like when you attack with a creature, a bear cub with uh, a creature enchanted to it, I guess. I don't know. I, I would say bestowed. Like, what's the terminology here? It has a creature bestowed. It has a stowaway. A bestowaway. Huh? That's perfect. That's okay, perfect. That, 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 made word you say. that made me smile. Okay. So when the creature has a bestowaway, oh, I guess. Uh, the, the aura itself doesn't tap. So say you attack with a bear cub with a bestowaway and you kill the bear cub, the aura will become a creature again and it'll be an untapped creature. Um, also, it will it will be affected by the rules of summoning sickness. So if you played it that turn, it'll have summoning sickness. But if you played it even as an aura the previous turn and now it's a new turn and it becomes a creature, it's not affected by summoning sickness because you controlled that permanent for more than a turn. So let's let's talk about how you actually cast a bestow spell okay so it is an alternate cost so in your hand it is a enchantment creature okay so things that affect uh uh enchantments uh or or let you do things with enchantments in your hand things that let you do things with creatures in your hand hey those both work like you know flash allows you to cast a permanent hey it's a permanent so you uh cast it following the normal timing rules for you know whatever you know creatures enchantments it's got flash then he follows the rules of flash 
um, and you put it on the stack. Uh, at that point, you make your determinations of you choose things like your alternate costs, like your bestow cost. Okay, at that point in time, the next thing we do is declare target. So making it announcing that you're going to pay the bestow is basically going to turn it right then and there into an aura with enchant creature. So now it has a target. Okay. And I'm inferring a little bit from the from the rules here, right? Because this is kind of the way it needs to work. Yeah. So we'll, you know, take everything I say with the with the potential that the the actual comp rules might come out and render what I say wrong. And then we'll we'll come on the uh, uh, the podcast and completely deny that it ever happened. Correct. CG will go back and edit the uh, uh, the, the back episodes. Yep, that's what we do. Not, that is how we do. We've re-recorded here. three whole episodes just to be sure. We have. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we go back and update old episodes when the rules change. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything listen is always correct. <laughs> <laughs> um. So now it's got a target, and you, uh, at that point on, it behaves just like an aura. Okay, um, you know, you give it a, uh, you give it a target, and probably there will be something in there about if there are no creatures, then you can't actually uh, uh, pay the bestow cost. Yeah, that's actually in the CR. That's in the CR. The rules for it. Right. You can't even begin to cast it if there are no legal targets for it as an aura. Um, so it's going to follow and it's going to stay, uh, an aura then until, uh, it tries to resolve with an illegal target. Um, and that's actually kind of, I, I, and I, CJ, I think this was, this was setting up for your, for your cute example. Yeah. You wanna, yeah, I stole this from, uh, John Temple, level two from Georgia. So say we have a Nimbus Naiad enchanting a bear cub, targeting a bear yes. cub on the stack. While it's on the stack, we can, we cast negate targeting the Naiad. Now that's legal because it's an R. It's not a creature anymore. Uh, then yep. in response to the negate, we doom blade the bear cub. Okay. Doom blade's going to resolve and the bear cub's going to die. Then the Naiad will be countered by negate. Now, why is the Naiad still a legal target for negate? Why didn't it turn back into a creature? And that's because it's not going to turn back into a creature until it does the check on resolution to see if its target's still legal. And so we never got to that point. So negate can still counter the Naiad. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of think about it. Um, a, a lot of people don't necessarily understand the, the subtle d- distinctions, but um, spells spells can actually be sitting on the stack with no target for a while. Like if a bunch of crazy stuff's going on, like at these legacy events, yeah, you know, where there's crazy counter wars, that kind of thing, like spells can be on the stack and their targets have been countered by something else like two levels higher in the stack and they don't immediately leave the stack they actually kind of sit there and wait their turn to resolve and then when they resolve they go womp womp and then they do nothing so in this particular case bestow will will stay uh, an enchant uh, an enchant creature and won't check or do anything like that until it goes to resolve yep and then and then uh, one other thing I want, wanted to discuss which I may have discussed earlier but is cleverly cut out at this point is if you have Thalia, Garden of Thra- Guardian of Th- Garden of Thraven, um, out, and she says non-creature <laughs> spells cost one more to cast. If you cast her Nimbus Naiad as a creature, don't use the bestow co- bestow cost. Oh, you will. Porculus. <laughs> Porculus. Porculus. 
you don't have to pay extra. But if you use the bestow cost, which is four and a blue, you're going to have to pay extra because you're now casting it as a non-creature spell. Hey, got a question. Yeah. What was, I do not remember who it was, but there was a judge at SEG Atlanta Mm -hmm. who told us that he taught his two-year-old daughter how to say portcullis properly just to mock you i don't remember who it was and that's gonna hurt because i'm sure he listens because he must but uh what? yeah i portcullis send send that in we will we will work that into um well actually i can't because i don't do the editing but <laughs> i will work it in. I work that in i admit i was saying portcullis wrong portcullis okay i think that's everything okay. about bestow the other ability should go a little faster Yes. Brian, you're my hero, so why don't you take the next one? Awesome. We don't need another (laughs) hero. Okay, so heroic is an ability word. An ability word means that it really doesn't have any rules text. Hooray. Hooray. And it's it's basically just there to tie a bunch of similarly themed abilities together. And so heroic is... Uh, basically an ability word that appears in italics at the beginning of abilities that trigger whenever you cast a spell that targets the creature with the heroic ability. So this word actually has no meaning, but you'll see heroic in italics. And then it says, whenever you cast a spell that targets this dude, comma, something happens. The important thing in here, the really important thing is here is whenever you cast a spell, not activate an ability, uh, or sorry, whenever you cast a spell that targets, okay, not whenever you try to equip. That is not a spell that targets. This is not a, uh, when you put a copy of a spell on a stack that targets, because that is not casting a spell. That's just putting a copy on the stack. Go back and listen to our copy episode. Well, you don't need to, because I just told you the relevant part right there. (laughs) Um, And then, uh, even if the spell has multiple targets, like Seeds of Strength, I think that's the card. It says, target creature gets plus one, plus one, period. Target creature gets plus one, plus one, period. Target creature gets plus one, plus one, period. Well, you look at that, and you cast it on, on your Citizen Battle Priest. You go, Seeds of Strength, ha, I get the trigger three times. No, you get it once because you cast a spell. Because basically, did you cast a spell that targeted it? Yes, okay, he triggers. Yeah. Good job. Doesn't care how many targets. And just to clarify, it's, it's only for your hero creatures. It's only spells you cast. They won't trigger if uh, your opponent casts a spell targeting it. Um, and now let's let's since you made a monstrously good pun with bestow away. <laughs> All right, let's talk about monstrosity. So monstrosity is is an activated ability. It's written monstrosity and then a number or cost colon monstrosity and then a number. And what it means is you pay the cost and you're going to put whatever that number is plus one plus one counters on the creature. In addition to that, it's going to become monstrous. Is it is it just me or is monstrosity probably one of the best keyword abilities? It's pretty sweet. I want something like, I don't know, monstrosity and annihilator, maybe. That'd be pretty cool. Um, so being monstrous doesn't mean too many things, but uh, a few notes. First off, that ability only does anything if the creature isn't already monstrous. So what this more or less means is there's no reason to activate this ability more than once. Technically, you could and it would resolve, but it wouldn't do anything and it would just be a big waste of mana and I'm not sure why you would do it. It will never do anything. There's no way. You can't even... It's not an ability the creature gains. It's just something that's true about the creature. So if you made it lose all abilities, it still would not work. However, if you did want to reset monstrous uh, killing the creature or flickering it or something like that would work 
quite well. Yeah. So, uh, so putting putting counters on the dude doesn't make it uh, like some other way doesn't make it monstrous. Right. It's it's only through the monstrosity ability. Right. And removing the counters after it's monstrous does not make it not monstrous. It is still monstrous. It's just smaller. Nor does humbling it make it <laughs> non monstrous. Correct. So, so your your monster is not. I mean, he's only he's only mostly humbled. He's still monstrous. Uh, some some creatures have abilities that trigger off of when they become monstrous, but that's pretty straightforward. Um, it's whenever they trigger when the monstrosity ability is resolving. And finally, um, monstrosity can be activated as an instant. Seems relevant. All right. Ooh, all right. So as my hero, I have much devotion to you. Yes. So please tell me about this. Yes. Devotion A. So devotion is um not chroma. It's uh No. So if you remember if you remember that ability back during uh what was it, Time Spiral? And then even before then, uh, like they had a little bit of it in a future site, it was this ability that had you count up the, the colored mana symbols on on things in different places, like maybe graveyards or maybe on the battlefield or maybe, you know, in your trading binder in your backpack, <laughs> you know, um, devotion says, no, 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 none of that. None of that. Um, count up the colored mana symbols you have on permanents that are on the battlefield. So your devotion to green is equal to the number of mana symbols of green that are in mana costs of permanence you control. So all those little, you know, the little gray circles with one or five or X in it, those don't mean anything. Even if you paid like, you know, you've got your engineered explosives and you paid a white and a green to get, you know, two counters on it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't contribute to your uh, to your devotion to green just because you paid green for it. It actually has to have the green mana symbol in the cost. Um, mana symbols in text boxes of permanence you control don't count towards your devotion. So forest with that big green tree symbol <laughs> does not uh, doesn't doesn't count. Uh, hybrid mana symbols, um, uh, Phyrexian mana do count. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, uh, if, a if an activated or triggered ability has an effect that depends on your devotion to a color, uh, then you're going to count those, those little, those little dots and stuff like that, uh, when the ability resolves. Now, I'm going to do one little, I'm going to have one little judgy thing as opposed to rule thing. Okay. Players, please do not use dice to represent your devotion. You will forget. (laughs) You will leave the dice on a wrong number and then we will get called over and there, you know, we'll have to fix it or warnings or something like that. Don't use dice. Don't use dice. Don't use dice. Figure it out when you need it. Yeah, luckily there's nothing Please. that that actively is constantly looking at your devotion, except perhaps the gods, which we'll get to. But there's nothing that's like this creature's power and toughness is equal to your devotion to green. So well, yet, for yet, I mean, yeah, we got yet, sets. Um, yet, Are you Russian now. <laughs> I love the phrase like devotion to black, though. I love that. The first time I saw that card, that was like do blah 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 equal to your devotion to black. I was like, yes, I have deep devotion to black, so I will get many harpies. That's it for devotion. I'm sorry. Did that did that comment make you scry a little? No. Oh. Uh, not much to say about Scry. This is like it's, what, third time back? It is. 
it is third time being printed but basically scry lets you look at the top in cards so like scry 3 would let you look at the top three cards of your library and you get to put them either on top or bottom of the library in any order so and you get to split them up if you want to so for example if you wanted to scry three you could look at the top three put one back on top of the library and two back on the bottom Basically, those those three, they need to end up on the top. Those three total need to end up on the top and bottom of your library, or top or bottom. And any order you want for the top or any order for the bottom or any order for both, just you get to choose. It's Burger King. You can have it your way. And there's like a ton of spells with like scry tacked on. So I figure we can go ahead and knock all of them out by saying that if those spells have a target and then at the end they say scry one. So like Spark Jolt says... Spark Jolt deals one damage to target creature or player, Scry 1. If the spell is countered due to its target becoming illegal, because maybe the target died or something, you're not going to get to Scry, because the whole spell is countered. Yeah, so don't don't look at that card. All right, let's talk about the gods. The gods. Gods. I think they had to be gods, because you couldn't fit anything else in the type line. If someone asks you, if you're a legendary enchantment creature god, you say... Maybe. <laughs> Depends on my devotion to green. <laughs> well, Mutavault says yes. Mutavault, yes. Well, no, Mutavault's not legendary. <sighs> all right, so god cards, they are all cards that are legendary enchantment creatures. Uh, they all have the type of god. Um, they generally have some kind of global effect because they're an enchantment, and then some kind of uh, activated ability. So like Nylia, god of the hunt. They're all also indestructible. Um, has an ability that says other creatures you control have trample. Three and a green target creature gets plus two, plus two, and ten to turn. Because uh, let's let's be frank, if your god could be taken out by Demystify... Yeah, that's pretty sad. Meh. Although we do have one spell that exiles enchantments. Um, but the relevant part is they also have a little ability that says as long as your devotion, for Nylia at least, as long as your devotion to green is less than five, Nylia isn't a creature. What that means is if your devotion is less than five, then on the battlefield, she's legendary enchantment. That's it. She's not legendary enchantment god, just legendary enchantment. Yes, because legendary is a super type. So all the type changing, anything that changes a type isn't going to affect its legendariness. Okay. Uh, but yes. So, hey, what layer does this apply in? Type is yes. Okay. I don't know why you you asked it. It threw me for a loop. Oh, I'm just I'm just envisioning opalescence and humility questions. Oh, I imagine. Um. <laughs> It'll be all right. I'll, I'll think about it later. Uh, I'll worry about it when it actually comes up. Blah, blah, blah. Send us an email. The other, the other interesting make, thing about... They think about it. Nylia. Nylia? Nylia. I like Nylia. Uh, is that... So, like all permanents, or most permanents, their abilities are only active while they're on the battlefield, unless that makes no sense. And we'll get to one much later in the podcast about one that's ability is active in other places. But for the most part, their ability is only active on the battlefield. What that means is that this devotion clause doesn't count while Nylia is in your hand, or perhaps you're choosing to have her as your commander. So anything that affects a creature will always affect her in your hand, no matter what your devotion to green is. Or graveyard or exile or yeah. anything like that. But the big question I kept seeing was, can they be commanders? And yes, they can be a commander. They're a legendary creature. God. God. Uh, the other thing to note is that they do count themselves for devotion. So, like, for Nyla, you really only have to get four more green mana symbols to make her a creature. Yeah. Now, 
here's a here's an interesting thing. Um, if the creature is attacking, mm-hmm. and let's say you have exactly, uh, you have exactly, and I believe this is the case, but you have exactly five. Your your devotion is exactly five, uh-huh. and you play one of those spells, you know, because you're attacking with what's that Tusker that's green green, the three three. Yeah, you know, Colonia Tusker. Tusker. Colonia Tusker. So I'm attacking with Colonia Husker, Tusker. Nala Tusker, uh, Nylia God of the Hunt. Out of the hunt, um, and, and something else, another another tusker. Okay, and, and for whatever reason, I blink one of the tuskers. Right. Okay. Um, Nylia, uh, your devotion to green, uh, drops below her the the threshold, and she stops being a creature for just a brief period of time. Yep. When she stops being a creature, uh, she's removed. She's removed from combat because only creatures can be in combat. Yep. Okay. So that's if the if the tusker dies then she stops being a uh, a, a creature but even blink effects you know take yeah. the creature away put it right back well there was a little short period of time where she wasn't uh she wasn't a dude that sounded really wrong <laughs> um uh there's a brief period of time where um it's not a creature so it's it's removed from combat yeah it's all right yep even though she's back by the time does the, the yeah. shouldn't it be goddess of the hunt no nah, they decided that they're all gods but this this set's very progressive one card has a has a gay couple um ashiok is gender neutral it's a very progressive set oh, sure <laughs> okay so uh uh we've got the ordeal cycle yeah uh so the ordeal cycle is a series of enchantments that uh one for each color that basically has whenever this creature uh attacks put a plus one plus one counter on it um then if it has three or more plus one plus one counters on it sacrifice ordeal of uh whatever um and then when you sacrifice the ordeal you get to do something as well um, so basically there's, there's two things, maybe three things. We'll figure out how many things when I'm done talking <laughs> uh, are going on. Um, one of the things is it says when you sacrifice the ordeal, you get to do something that actually doesn't matter how you sacrifice it. If, uh, if something else causes you to sacrifice a enchantment, think like, or a tog cause yes. sacrifice enchantments, right? Or a tog is a nice recent example. Yes. Or tog is a nice recent example i don't know these new cards man i gotta go old school or a tog lets you sacrifice a enchantment to yeah sacrifice an enchantment or a tog gets plus two on plus two until end of turn so you sacrifice your ordeal to or tog that still counts yes okay next thing is um whenever you whenever it enchants you put a plus one plus one counter on it then if it has three or more counters so if it's got plus two if it's got two plus one plus one counters on it from whatever uh a lot of heroic cards give plus one plus one counters yeah yeah then uh you're still going to sacrifice this guy um right yeah the reason i had that to notes uh because i actually got to play one of these in in the magic online beta a little bit and um if in, in your heart you feel like you should be able to attack three times and get three counters but that's not really how it works what it does is it attacks puts a counter on and then checks to see if it has three counters so if it's a creature with like evolve or something and it has extra counters uh it's going to be sacrificed right then if it had 
but you still get something nice when you yeah, when you sack it. You get a little, you get a little something. Yeah, something. yeah. And remember to put your counter on before your opponent's block, please. Yes. I mean they can't they can't like power through and rush you real quick, but you know be be remember be mindful of your mistriggers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing I want to mention is that if if you kill the creature that is enchanted with the ordeal, the aura is put into the graveyard as a state based action. That doesn't count as sacrificing. It's just put into the graveyard. So you're not going to get the uh, the trigger to do whatever. Yes. All right. Let's start talking about cards. Individual cards. Woot. That's all the mechanics slash and or cycles. So, Anthusa, Satessan Hero. She says, whenever you cast a spell that targets Anthusa, Satessan Hero, up to three target lands you control, each become two two warrior creatures until end of turn. They're still lands. Uh, the only thing I want to point out to this is the same caveats for every card that animates a land. Um, if you just played the land this turn, it is summoning sick. And if you make it a creature, it's not going to be able to tap for mana because it will be summoning sick. It also can't attack, of course. Yep. Next. All right. Artisan of Forms. This is for one in the blue, a 1-1 one, one creature human wizard, but not for long. <laughs> because it has heroic. Whenever you cast a spell that targets artisan of forms you may have artisan of forms become a copy of target creature and gain this ability um okay so here we go uh the ability does not end at the end of turn um let's see here it uh if you're going oh what is this why did you give me this one making me have to think what are these notes here what it always target it you always have to choose a target even for a major oh okay that's it so yes. I, if it's a if your only creature is a fan okay that was that was your point in this yes. copy is that it's a mate it's even though it's a mate trigger you still have to target correct the dude. okay so your illusionary guys are are gonna uh end up getting sacrificed yes and if you were to clone the artisan that is copying a bear cub you're gonna get a bear cub with the artisan's ability because its, its ability is a copyable yes whatever yes all right ashiok nightmare weaver of indeterminate gender so ashiok what's we, we don't have a word in english thon thon is a word i've heard thrown around for someone of indeterminate gender what thon has plus two exile the top three cards to target opponent's library uh i'll get to the middle of the village in a second but minus 10 exile all cards from all opponent's hands and graveyards and then minus x Put a creature card with converted mana cost X, exiled with Ashiok, Nightmare Weaver, onto the battlefield under your control. That creature is a nightmare in addition to its other types. So the middle ability just refers to any cards exiled with both the plus two and the minus ten. Either one counts. Um, due to the Planeswalker uniqueness rule change, if you were to play a new Ashiok while you have an old one out and say you've exiled three cards, you play the new Ashiok, you choose to put the old Ashiok into the graveyard, the new Ashiok has no memory of what the old Ashiok exiled. So Thawn is going to have to exile brand new cards for Thawn's self. Finally, no. <laughs> using the minus X ability, if you choose to put a creature card out um, and the creature card has bestow, it will be a creature. You have no choice because you're not casting the card. So you have no choice in that matter. All right. Let's get Booney. Boon, Boon of uh, Erebos. I want to say Cerebros. Or Cerebrus. Anyway. Oh, we have Cerberus uh, later. Cerberus. Yes. For one black, the boon of Erebos. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Regenerated, you lose two life. All right. So first thing is, before this spell resolves, if it if the creature dies, you are not going to lose your two life because the spell will be countered upon resolution due to lack of target. The second thing is, the regenerated, you're actually just setting up a shield that is going to... Uh, 
uh, uh, fire off and do things when the creature would die. And what it does is, what regeneration does, just as a reminder, is when a creature has received lethal damage or is being destroyed, you instead tap the creature, remove all damage marked on the creature, and remove it from combat if it is in combat. Those are the three things that you do with Virginia. It doesn't go to the graveyard and then come back out or anything like that. It just stays where it is. Tap it if it's not already tapped. Pull it out of combat if it's in combat. Remove all damage on it if it's got any damage on it. Cool. Cool. Boulderfall. Boulderfall, for way too much mana, does... Five damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or players. So if you go back to our steps of casting a spell uh, episode, you'll know that damage division, it happens when you are choosing the targets and putting the spell on the stack. And once you decide how to divide that damage, it can't be changed, even if some of the targets become illegal. Uh, if all the targets become illegal, the spell is countered. But as long as one of those targets is legal, uh, that's going to be the d- division of damage. You cannot change that division. Uh, the other note for this card is that you can't do damage to both a player and a planeswalker or to two planeswalkers or more planeswalkers uh, of your opponents. And that's because due to the planeswalker redirection rule, you're doing damage to the player and then redirecting it to their planeswalker. You can't split up that damage among multiple planeswalkers uh, and you can only choose one target, which is the player. So you're either yes. doing it to the player or the planeswalker. Yep. This uh, this next one is a good one to trick L2s. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. You go for it. Yes. So this one is Chronicler of the L2s. No, (laughs) Chronicler of Heroes. It is for one green and a white. It's a 3-3 that says, When Chronicler of Heroes enters the battlefield, draw a card if you control a creature with a plus one, plus one counter on it. So what's funny about this is... It, it has the word if, but it's not an intervening if clause. Weird. Okay. Weird. Okay, so we've talked about what an intervening if clause is. An intervening if clause is when it gives a trigger, it gives a trigger condition, and then it'll say, you know, like, uh, it'll say, like, uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, comma, if you control a creature with a plus one, plus one counter on it, comma, draw a card. Okay, that's an example of an intervening if clause, because it's comma, if, blah, 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 comma, rest of the sentence. Yeah. Okay. Um, in Chronicler of Heroes case, and I, you can't hear my lack of comma, but <laughs> this is when Chronicler of Hero enters the battlefield, comma, draw a card if you control a creature with a plus one, you know. So if you if you worded it when Chronicler of Heroes enters the battlefield, comma, if you control a creature with a plus one, plus one counter on it, comma, draw a card, it would behave differently. But as it stands, all of this is me saying, you don't got to worry about any of that crap I just said. <laughs> this is when it enters the battlefield field when the trigger goes to resolve if one of your dudes has a plus one plus one counter on it you're gonna get to draw a card i'll say like from evolve so if you have your experiment one and he's sitting there being his one one you drop your chronicler of heroes you can go oh i'm gonna stack my triggers so the chronicler chronicler chronic help me here chronic chronicler wow it's you know there's all these words that if you say them enough times they start to sound really silly Chronicler of Heroes triggers on the stack first, then the Evolve trigger. The Evolve trigger is going to resolve. Your Experiment 1 gets a plus 1, plus 1 counter. And then Chronicler of Heroes trigger goes, hey, do I have any dudes with a plus 1, plus 1 counter? Yes, you get a card. Yes. Yes. 
know what I love about Vestal creatures? You can pronounce them Vestal. Yeah, but also I don't think we're ever going to talk about another one. Like they all work the exact same way. We don't. There's no weird ones. They all have. By the way, I should mention this. They all have stats that are equal to the bonus they give. So like the Naiad is a two two, and she gives plus two plus two, and she has flying, and she gives flying. So they're all like really easy to figure out what they do. Um, But the main part is they all basically do the same thing, and we won't have to talk about them at all. Speaking of bestow, though, I have coastline chimera. Shimmera? How do you pronounce Shimmera. it? I've heard Chimera. I know. I like Shimmera, just, though, personally. It, maybe it's Ch- Chimera. I don't know. I've always assumed that those people are just people that want to sound f- fancy. Like, <laughs> they want to say Sherrod like Shirod- instead of Charade and stuff. True facts, I had a Shimmera deck when I was a kid with the old Visions ones, I think they were in. Anyway. Or a Chimera, Chimera deck. Yeah. yeah. Uh, send us an email. No, don't Tell send us, us an email. Pronunciation. Anyway, he has flying and one in a white coastline shimmer can block an additional creature this turn only relevant part about that is it is cumulative <laughs> so if you activate it multiple times don't even don't even if you activate it multiple times he can block multiple creatures so if you activate it twice he can block three creatures i'm just saying i might want to offer a prize to someone that goes through all our episodes and just cobbles cobbles together a compilation of us mispronouncing words i think this one's going to be really full of it <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jess is like our pronouncer. He is. He is. We need, we need. That's, that's. Okay. Daxos of Melitus. Melitus. Melanoma. Whatever. <laughs> okay. He is for one white and a blue. He is a 2 2 legendary creature, human soldier. Um, <laughs> Why'd you say it like that? I don't know. He just looks so stunningly handsome. I figured he he was worth it with his with his shirt off and all that. Yeah. Okay. This is whole. Oh, this is this this card makes me feel old. It's got all this little tiny text on it. Daxos. Daxos. Whatever. Shut up. Of Mela Mela Melitus can't be blocked by creatures with power three or greater. All right. Let me stop you there. Uh, I didn't, okay. I didn't, stop me there. I didn't put this in the notes, but uh, for the record, if he, if it is blocked by a creature with like two power and then you giant growth that creature, he's still blocked. Nothing makes him unblocked. I, I thought I was doing this card. Hey, I didn't put it what? in the notes, so you might not say it. I know you're just reading everything I wrote, basically. No. Yes. No. No. You're, you're right. You're not. You're not. No. Keep going. Keep going. Color commentary, man. Daxos. Daxos. All right. So now, now the next block is is a lot. Whenever Which is why I wanted to get that first one out of the way. Well, I was actually gonna shut up, man. Just go, just go. When da- just power through, power through. Whenever Daxos of Melanoma deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of that player's library. Okay, so you're gonna exile a card. You gain life to the uh, equal to that card's converted mana cost. Okay, cool. Let's hope it's uh that that Reaper King. Um, until the end of turn, you may cast that card and you may, uh, you may cast that card and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast it. So here's what, here's what's going on. Um, you flip over the card, you're going to gain life right away. Now it's going to sit over there to the side and until end of turn, you can cast it. Okay. You still have to, uh, uh you still have to obey all the rules um uh the timing restrictions yeah you still have to ti- you still have to obey all of the timing restrictions and as it's casting if it's a land womp womp you're out of luck okay um fortunately since you're doing the attacking you know if you flip over a sorcery or a creature or a legendary enchantment creature god um you can you'll you'll have a you know during your main phase your second main phase to cast all this stuff 
Um, one of the, so right there, and you are going to get be able to spend mana or any color to cast it. So only casting that card, do you get to tap your tap your lands and be like, oh yeah, my blue is gonna pay for for the black and all that good stuff. So well, that that works fine in commander, right? Like I can cast somebody with uh, a different commander's color identity because even though I'm generating um, black men, I can spend it yeah, as anything I want. Spend it as anything you want. Yeah, yeah, that works. Okay. And since you are p- actually casting the spell and paying its cost, you can use alternate costs. Right. So if you want to uh, bestow, 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 you can do that. Every time I'm thinking of that that pig pig card. Every time you say or every time we say bestow now. Cause oh, I was. We weren't even going to talk about that one. Curse of the swine. Curse of the swine. I love that card. Yeah. So All right. The difference between this ability and something that lets you cast something for free, like when you cast something for free, you're casting it for free is the alternate cost, so you can't use alternate costs. But this one has you pay the mana, so you can use alternate costs, like bestow. Yes. And the difference is, one of the other differences, since it says until end of turn, you may cast this card. If it just said cast this card, then um, uh, you would be casting it upon resolution of the triggered ability. Mm-hmm. But since it actually, since it gives you a duration, like until end of turn, then that's what kind of kicks you into well you got to obey all the normative timing restrictions yep let's talk about flame speaker adept uh, she looks like she yeah whenever you scry flame speaker adept gets plus two plus oh and gains first strike until end of turn the only thing i want to mention about this is if you scry two and look at the top two cards she's only going to trigger once because you only did the action of scrying once even though you looked at multiple cards so basically she triggers for every time the word scry is on a card not for how many times you scry Good, great, good, good, good. All right, Gift of Immortality. Okay, this is kind of a neat card. Yeah, it is. Um, it it kind of reminds me of like uh like False Death and uh, or False Demise. Mm-hmm. Those cards in blue, but this one is it's an uh for two and a white. It's an enchantment aura, enchant creature. When enchanted creature dies, okay, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. Return Gift of Immortality to the battlefield attached to that creature at the beginning of the next end step. Um, so basically, uh, it kind of works like a regeneration, sort of, kind of. Yeah. Okay, like your dude, your dude dies, uh, the Gift of Immortality is going to fall off. I mean, state-based actions are going to put it in the graveyard, but this trigger happened so you're going to get your guy right back and then gift of immortality is going to sit in your graveyard until the beginning of the next end step in which case it's going to then uh hey it's a delayed trigger uh zone change it is it is hey just stumbled on that look at that reading is fundamental so um well we'll talk about it in just a second yes Okay, so the the key things is the creature comes back, the enchantment's going to come back sometime later. If, for whatever reason, the creature's not there, uh, your gift of immortality is going to stay where it is. Yeah, it doesn't come back and then, I don't know, you get to attach it to whatever you want or something like that. Nope, it's not even going to move. It never leaves the graveyard. Yep, but it is a, it is a, uh, it, Miss Trigger Policy. Ooh, this is, hey, we were just talking about that getting clarified. Yeah. So if for whatever reason, actually not for whatever reason, but if you forget your delayed trigger, okay, and this is a zone change, the opponent will have the choice, not, he doesn't have the choice of whether or not it is or is not going to happen. He gets the choices to whether it happens now or the first time players would receive priority at the next phase. Right. At the beginning of the next phase. So if you forget to bring your creature back, oh well. 
That's not a delayed yeah. zone change trigger. That's just a zone change trigger. It's not delayed. Right. So if you forget to bring your creature back, oh well, whole thing is missed. Um, but if you forget to bring Gift of Immortality back, the opponent will get that decision. Yeah, and that and that might seem weird, but when you think about it, like these these delayed triggers are are meant to handle things like Obsidat, the Geist of Saint Traff token, mm-hmm. you know, and and there's a little bit of a little bit of difference there because since they're delayed and they're invisible, they're actually a lot easier to forget than things that are supposed to happen immediately. So. All right, God's willing, God's willing, we're gonna get through this podcast. I think I think we're making solid progress. We are. Target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. Scry one. Um, I don't think I need to repeat that if the target is illegal, you're not going to scry, but I just did. But, so you choose a target when the spell goes on the stack, but you don't choose what you're giving protection from until the spell resolves. So you don't have to give your opponent that kind of information. Additionally, if, say, you have a bear cub with a green uh, bestow away on it, if you give the bear cub protection from green, the bestow away is going to fall off and, as we discussed earlier, become a creature. Yes, provided that Matt Tabak's Tumblr account can be trusted. I hope it can. <laughs> if, it, if it it can't be, he can change the rules. <laughs> That's true. He's Because he said he wrote oh. the rules like six months ago. So he's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> uh, so one one other, I, I guess from a tournament shortcut standpoint, um, you choose the color. Uh, and, and we've talked about this. So you choose the color as it resolves. If you make the choice while casting casting it, you are held to that choice unless your opponent does something. So if you say, God's willing, my guy for blue, and then your opponent doesn't do anything, you can't be like, ah, I gotcha, I'm going to name red. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Also, if you cast God's willing and your opponent asks you for what color, well, he's letting God's willing resolve. Also, when you cast it, you should always say, God's willing, my creature has protection from blue. If you're going to name the color up front, I feel like you have to say it that way. Okay. What about my creature has protection from blue, God's willing? That's fine, too. I, I might even like that a little more, to be honest. Yeah, it sounds more formal. Yeah. Okay, God's willing. Next. Okay, next is Hunt the Hunter. Dun-dun-dun. For one green mana, target green creature you control gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. It fights target green creature and opponent controls. I must have read this card like 20 times when it was spoiled. I was just like, what? No. I, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> then later we learned it's part of a cycle. So, so uh, okay. So, I just want to, why? So, okay. So, I have to have, you have to have a green creature, and I have to have a green creature mm-hmm. to even cast this thing. Yeah. Which is really obnoxious. Yes, it is. But I guess in a way it's kind of good. Um, so, um, if when you cast this spell, okay. In order to have the spell be countered, uh, both targets need to be uh, gone. Um, so if so, we've got the two creatures. If your creature disappears, um, no fight is going to happen. If their creature is the one that disappeared for whatever reason, your dude still gets the plus two, plus two, but still no fight happens. Or if one of them's rendered illegal for whatever reason. If either one of them's rendered illegal, no fight is going to happen. But if your dude's still around and still legal, he's going to get the plus two, plus two. Got it. Got it. Got it. Good luck casting that spell. Yeah. Next, Melitus Charlatan. He has an ability to and a blue. The, the controller of target instant or sorcery spell copies it. That player may choose new targets for the copy. Uh, the main thing I want to point out with this card is, unlike many other spells that copy things, this one, actually, the controller of the spell that's being copied retains control of the copy, and they're the one that gets to choose the new targets. So if your opponent's like, giant growth, my dude, and you're like, haha, copy that, you just gave your opponent another giant growth. Yeah, I guess this is... 
kind of, it's kind of weird like why they did this. I guess they're trying to make like multiplayer politics a thing. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, so it works perfectly normally for your own spells, but was Echo Beige overpowered? I don't know. Um, the other note is that the copying the spell will not trigger heroic, like we discussed earlier. I think this is the card in the set that can do it. Maybe that's why he's a charlatan. You're like, ha, I'm going to get a giant gro- Oh, you've got <laughs> two giant groats. Ha, I'm going to get a board while. Oh. Okay. Mogus, Mogis Marauder. Uh, for two and a black, he is a 2-2 human berserker wearing a cow skull, it looks like. Um, when Mogis Marauder enters the battlefield, up to X target creatures each gain intimidate and haste until end of turn, where X is your devotion to black. So again, um, let's see here. Uh... If you're so this is kind of weird because if your devotion to black changes uh, while the ability is on the stack, the number of targets aren't going to change. Um, So you use devotion to determine the number of targets. Um, Like we said at the beginning, the devotion is normally checked when um, uh, when the ability resolves. But this one is actually a little bit weirder. Uh, this is this is going to be when you're actually using it to put the trigger on the stack. Uh, so if your devotion to black is five, uh, you're going to get to target up to five dudes. Uh, five target creatures each gain intimidate and haste. But if while that ability is on the stack, one of your guys dies and use like, let's say Mogi's Marauder dies. Okay, and your devotion goes down to, to four. Uh, uh, X is still going to be five. Those five creatures are, are still going to get it. However, in reality, it'll probably be four because Mogi's Marauder was probably getting haste. <laughs> it probably was, yes. Probably. All right. Polu Kranos, World Eater. Does he have, like, chicken heads? I don't know. He's, he's weird. He looks, like, he looks like a bad guy in, like, a Final Fantasy yeah, he does. Uh, video game. So he has XX Green Monstrosity X, and he was the first monstrosity card they showed, which was a little confusing. But uh, basically what that means is if you pay four total mana, so you decide X is going to be two, so you're going to pay four total mana, or five total mana, um, two for each X and then a green, he's going to get two counters, right? When Polokranos World Eater becomes monstrous, it deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures your opponents control. Each of those creatures deals damage equal to its power to Polokranos. Um, so unless X is zero, you're going to have to fight. Well, it's not technically fight, but I can say fight. I think we all understand here. Um, so unless X is zero, you're going to have to target something. You're going to, you have to fight. Now he, um, he's pretty big, so I think you'll be okay there. Um, in most situations it won't matter, but Polychronos does his damage first and then the other creatures do the damage back. Now we don't check state-based actions in the middle of that, so it doesn't really matter, but if you gave him Infect or something, uh, it would lower, or Wither, it would lower the other creature's power before they hit back. Something else I wanted to say about Polychronos. Oh well, probably wasn't that important. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I, what, what did I want to did you want to talk about the weirdness of having that triggered ability with X in yes, it that doesn't that is refer it. to anything? Yes, there was a time in the rules, and by that I mean before this release, that that wouldn't work. A triggered ability couldn't reference the other ability, like some other ability, and then also look at the X value of the other ability. It just it wasn't possible. But then Matt Tavek just added a rule, and now it is possible. The end. Good. <laughs> yes, glad I talked no. about it. Yes, because here's the thing. I was reading this and I was going, huh, it doesn't really say. I mean, obviously X is tied to the monstrosity of X. Right. But I don't think that works. They must have made a new rule. They did. Somewhere. I believe it. One of those, one of those exceptions. 
All right. Yeah, it's in portent. Uh, it's in the rules for monstrosity. Is it? Yep. So it's only specific to monstrosity. Anyway, portent. Portent Portenticulus. Portent of betrayal. Gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap that creature. It gains haste until end of turn. Scry one. Okay, so this is basically we know we know what this card does. Yes. Um, okay, so the note is, if you targeted a god, um, when you get it, uh, it's gonna start checking your devotion, right? So if you're like, you know, it's kind of the whole thing where it's like, oh, well, that person's got like a cool, I'll say nightmare, you know, right? Yeah. You know, oh, they've got a 6-6 six, six nightmare. That's awesome. I want a 6-6 six, six flyer. So I'm going to, I'm going to porton of betrayal their nightmare from my mono red deck. And I get the nightmare and I get my, my, my flying zero, zero and it dies. So this is kind of the same thing with the gods, right? If, if you steal a, a guy with, you know, devotion to green in your mono red deck, uh, He's going to be an enchantment. You're not going to get a, a hasty, indestructible 6-6 six, six or whatever. Right. And you're still going to lose control of it at end of turn, even though it's not a creature. Right. And if you if you steal a uh, a dude that has a bestowaway. Yes, excellent. Um, and the dude dies, the bestowaway enters uh, or the bestowaway is controlled by the owner. I mean, the original guy. I mean, so so I steal from player A. He's got a bear cub with the bestowaway. I do something to sack the bear cub. He gets the bestowaway because it's his. I never actually gained control of the enchantment. Yeah. So, yep. All right. I'm, just, I'm really, I'm really happy with bestowaway. That's working out really. I, well. I really like it because I really wanted a term to mean a creature with bestow that isn't attached to another creature. Anyway, Prophet of Crufix, who does not have six arms but looks like it. She has an ability: untap all creatures and lands you control during each other player's untap step, and you may cast creature cards as though they had flash. So, when I first read this ability, I thought it was a trigger. Um, but I realize now it is not a trigger because I, I had the dream where you would tap in response to the trigger. You'd tap any of your remaining lands and then you'd untap them all and then you have all your mana again. But that is not the case. Uh, just basically when your opponent untaps their stuff, you untap your stuff at the exact same time. Uh, and along those same lines, if, if something said a card of yours didn't untap during your untap step, which I think all of them say, like, no, I don't think there's any card that says target creature doesn't untap during any untap step ever. Um, so it says it doesn't untap during your untap step, like claustrophobia or frost breath. It will still untap during your opponent's untap step. So that's pretty good. Like that, uh, what's that new one? Tidemindr mage, I think, that like locks a creature down. Yeah, like that. Yeah, your creature, your creature would untap because it says untap. It doesn't untap during your untap step, not your opponent's. And because uh, it says you can cast creature cards as though they had flash, you this would allow you to make bestowaways at instant speed because it's still a creature in your hand so it has flash and then when you start to cast it yeah sure it stops being a creature but you've already started to cast it all right all right rescue from the underworld this card is awesome this card is very cool but i had to read it this, so many times this card is this card is very awesome okay so four and a black um so so ba- basically before i even describe what the rule text is it's it sets up a story <laughs> of one of our uh, someone going down into like hades and bringing back like a soul that's trapped down there okay that's i mean before yeah i mean that's the flavor of this thing okay so it's an instant as an additional cost so it is a cost to cast rescue from the underworld sacrifice a creature okay uh choose target creature in your graveyard return that card 
and the sacrificed card uh, to the be- to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of your next upkeep. Exile, rescue from the underworld. No, before we get into okay. this, I didn't notice, but um, the returning it to the upkeep is pretty nice. Well, they won't be able to attack that turn, but it's nice that you can cast it into turn because it is an instant. That's that's right. Fair. Well, I mean, safe. it also it also it takes a while, yeah, dude, to get your buddy out of hell. Yeah. It's he's got to go. He's got to put some. He's he's doing work down there. <laughs> Leave him be. All right. All right. So if the targeted creature is removed from the graveyard in response to the spell on the stack, um, the spell is countered. But your 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 dude is still sacked. Right. Because it's a cost. So it's like your dude went to the underworld and you couldn't find him and he just got trapped there forever. Right. It's like, oh, boy. This card tells so many stories. It does. And there's none of only one's happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess that's fitting when you're going to when you're going to hell. Yeah. OK, so after the spell resolves, removing either sacrificed creature or the targeted one from the graveyard will not prevent the other one from coming back. Okay, the story's a little hazy. Sure. Well, in this this particular case, he's like, you know, he didn't get his mojo disrupted, right? Now he, like, he got down there. Or maybe the story's actually kind of cooler. Like, he got down there and he found out, like, Hades from uh, from Hercules. Yes. And he's like, ah, let's make a deal. Ah. It sends him sends him back. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. You with me? Yep. Either or the po- works. But from a rules perspective, the point is after the spells resolved, both creatures don't have to be there for one of them to come back. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um. So the the other kind of weird thing about this is uh, rescue rescue from the underworld is exiled as the spell resolves. Um. I don't really know why that's the case. I wonder if it's to prevent some sort of recursion. Yeah, there must be something there. I don't know what it could be. Yeah, I guess that would probably be if you were able to constantly be getting that back and just, you know, getting your dudes constantly recycling them. Um, and then if you sacrifice your commander and then put it in the command zone, it still works because of the there's a for zone change triggers. Uh, or sorry for uh, not for uh, the effect is able to not for zone chain triggers, but the effect is able to see the card in the first zone it was moved to. So basically you're sacrificing your creature instead of going to the graveyard, it's going to the command zone. Um, and then the card just says, return that card to the battlefield. It can see it because that's the first place it went. Yeah. You know, if for whatever reason you, you, you know, put in the command zone and then cast it again and then it died again. Well, it's done some zone changes there. So it's brand new object. Yeah. All that good stuff. All right. All right. I get the next one. It's easy. Sea God's Revenge. I like the name, though. Uh, return up to three target creature cards or three target creatures your opponents control to their owner's hand. Um, so say you're in a situation where you're like, I got six mana. I really need to scry this turn. You don't have to target anything if you don't want to. You could have zero targets and face six mana to scry one. I don't know why I put this in the show notes. Next card. Okay, it is Timerit, the Burger King. Oh, he is from now on. He's even got a little <laughs> mask. He does have a little oh, mask. He's got a mask on his knee. He's got masks on. Mask. I can't take. I can't take credit for that. I saw somebody post a picture uh, with really the Burger funny, King though. mask. Tamar is the Burger King. I wonder. I wonder if when they're naming these cards, like when I when uh, uh, before Lauren was born. It was actually my job, or I saw it as my job, to any name that we came up with, I tried to make fun of it. <laughs> 
And when I couldn't make fun of the name, then it went on the list. Right. I understand that. Right. You don't want to name your yeah. kid Bart. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, people are going to, well, let's see here. How would, how would you make fun of Bart? You know, Bart, Bart, Hart, Dart, E-R. No, it seems fine. Bart's a fine name. Bart? I was making a Simpsons show, man. They had a scene where Homer was making, you know, trying oh, yeah, yeah. Thing I do Bart remember that. Name. And then he, she's like, well, how about Bart? He's like, well, let's see how I can make, make fun of Bart. Bart, Cart, Dart, E-R. Nope, sounds good to me. All right. So now. <laughs> okay. The murder burger. King. I don't even know what this guy does. What does he do? Okay. He is a 2-2 for a red and a black. Uh, he is a legendary creature zombie warrior. Nice. Um, for one and a red, sacrifice another creature. The Burger King deals two damage to target player. You can't have it your way. <laughs> All right. And then for one and a black, sacrifice a creature. Return the Burger King from your graveyard to your hand. So that kind of means he's got to be in the graveyard for that ability to work there, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it does. And that's exactly what that means. Yeah. So a question I saw a lot was, can he sacrifice himself to return himself back? Like if he's out on the battlefield, but he can't. The ability it only functions in the graveyard because that's where it makes sense. I mean, there are there are actual rules that that spell all this out. But the just saying abilities work on the battlefield unless that makes no sense is a really good shorthand for it. And really wanting it to make sense doesn't mean it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Underworld Cerberus. Cerberus. Two heads. Uh, no, three. One's over right over the shoulder. Oh, is it? Yeah. All right. Um, Underworld Cerberus can't be blocked except by three or more creatures. You're right. That is three heads. Uh, cards and graveyards can't be targets of spells or abilities. And most importantly, when Underworld Cerberus dies, excellent, and each player returns all creature cards from his or her graveyard to his or her hand. Uh, why do I even mention this? Because, say, I control a Cerberus, and it's my turn, and Brian controls a Cerberus. Actually, let me just use player A and player N. So it's player A's turn. And something kills both Cerberuses at the exact same time. What's going to happen is both triggers are going to go on the stack. So Cerberus, um, so A Cerberus trigger goes on the stack, N Cerberus trigger goes on the stack. Ends is going to resolve and exile ends Cerberus, and it's going to return all creature cards from all graveyards, including A's Cerberus, to their owner's hands. All right, so A has his Cerberus, ends Cerberus is exiled. Then A's Cerberus trigger is going to resolve, and it's going to return all creatures. Now, there's probably no creatures left unless something randomly died in the middle of that trigger resolving, or in the middle of those two triggers. Um, and it's going to try to exile the Cerberus, but the Cerberus has already changed zones from where it initially was, so the trigger can't find it, and A is going to have a nice little Cerberus in his hand. The end. Yes, the end. That's the, that's the Cerberus story. All right. I am. Um, so the next card is Whip of Erebos. 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 It is two black black for a legendary enchantment artifact. And it says creatures that you control have lifelink. Pretty good. Okay. 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 Uh, and then two black black. Tap, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Exile at the beginning of the next end step. If it would leave the battlefield, exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. That's the important thing. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, activate this ability only any time you could cast a sorcery. Uh, so this is basically uh, unearth. Unearth. It is. It is exactly yeah. unearth. <laughs> it is exactly unearth. And so here's the here's the interesting thing about uh, 
unearth is so it sets up a, a delayed trigger okay exile it at the beginning of the next in step hey that's a delayed zone change trigger hey hey look at that um if it would leave the battlefield exile it instead of putting it anywhere else so if it's leaving the battlefield because it is being exiled, um, then this that that part right there doesn't doesn't really do anything. So if I'll say a card is being exiled like Obsidat uh, or Aetherling, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, uh, like Aetherling, you know, you exile it because you you use Aetherling's ability to exile it so you can get it back later. So it's dead somehow. They were able to kill your Aetherling. Um, you use Whip of uh, Erebus to get it back. I'm saying Aetherling because Obsidad's so mainstream. Okay. With this card. Whatever you want, man. It's your card. Uh, own it. Well, own it. That's right. So with Aetherling, you, you pay a blue. So Aetherling's dead in your graveyard. You pay your two black black. You tap it. Uh, you tap your whip. You bring Aetherling back. Okay. And then you pay a blue to exile Aetherling. Okay. Um, this part right here of, you know, exile, exile that creature if it was le- to leave a battlefield isn't going to apply because it's already going to exile. So instead, well, not really even instead, it's just you're exiling it with Aetherling's ability. So you're going to get your Aetherling back and it's not going to be like all whipped up with this whole clause of exile it at the beginning of your next end step because it's a new object. Yeah. Yep. So whip works well with opposite at and Aetherling. Kids and grown-ups love it, so the lovely works whip better with, of Probably Erebos. works better with Obsidat because of, you know, the whole color thing. Yeah, probably. But, but you know but, what? Each each thing we just talked about still only has two colors involved. So Yeah. So they both work. All right, and then Xenagos the Reveler. I'm not even going to read all of them. He has so much text. But his plus one is add X mana in, your, in any combination of red and or green to your mana pool where X is the number of creatures you control. This is not a mana ability. Why? Is but it, it doesn't have a target. Why is it not a mana ability? Because Planeswalker abilities are never mana abilities. Loyalty abilities. Thanks, Koth. Abilities. Yeah, Koth. Ruin it for everybody. Yeah, Koth. Probably some combo or something. No, it's because they just didn't want to deal with the weirdness of being able to activate a loyalty ability in the middle of casting a spell. Well, you still can't because by the rules, you can only activate them when you go to sorcery. So it's still not well, a thing. Just clarify it. Stuff like that, because then it wouldn't even go on the stack. It would just resolve right away. So maybe they wanted people to be able to respond. to I don't know. All right. All right. That's it. Xenagos was shockingly at the end of the alphabet there. Really? Really? So apparently, I guess just... Xenagos just never showed up. Just never showed up. Makes me sad. We miss you, Jess. Jess. Send us an email and tell us how much you miss Jess. Yeah. Send us an email for all these things. All right. So speaking of email... Should we read any? Uh, if you want. How much, I mean, we got to work off this backlog somehow. Yeah. All right. We have a ton of emails. And our next episode is either going to be um, either we're going to have a very special guest who I won't say, or it's going to be purely emails to get to get caught up because our emails go back to August 16th. But we'll read. Really? Uh, yeah, we'll read all five of them here and uh, all right. save the rest for the next show. Are we starting at the bottom? Yeah, we are. Okay. From your boy, Justin Ricks. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, Justin wants to know, uh, he would like some advice for a judge at his first GP. And hopefully he didn't want that advice soon. Uh, no, he's, well, he's going uh, to his first GP. I think it's Kansas City? Or maybe it was Detroit. Maybe it was this past weekend. Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I actually responded to the email, so that's something. Oh, okay. Well, then. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, the advice I gave, because he said he was a level one judge, so um, you're probably going to be on public events. 
Uh, you're just going to be firing drafts, you know, just make sure you're familiar with the jar. Um, if you don't know how to start a draft, you just ask another judge. They'll help you. I mean, it's, you know, you're never out there alone. Nope. Um, drink plenty of water. Uh, stay visible. Take the opportunity. If it's your first GP, take the opportunity to talk to some of the L2s and L3s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn just, you know, keep your eyes open. Watch what's going on. Um, and you will learn a lot. Uh, don't necessarily try and go off and improve anything on your own. You know, we like initiative and stuff like that, but if it's your first GP, you know, go up to your, your lead and say, Hey, I've got an idea. Um, because sometimes, uh, uh, there's a reason for us doing the things that we do the way that we do them. So, you know, don't want to discourage initiative or anything like that, but, uh, you know, just, just check first before you go off and start moving tables around to make room for something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple of things I mentioned to him was um, this is one of the few times for most people that you actually might have a two-headed giant event. So I think it's nice to go ahead and brush up on the rules on that, like how long you have to deck build and that you get a free mulligan and two-headed giant. Yes. And that you, uh, the player, the team that goes first does not draw an extra card. Yep. 60 minutes, really? Jeez. <laughs> Uh, and the hard part for me for the first time I was on like a public events thing, it was at Dragon Con, but basically the same thing, uh, was that you go, you start the event and then you walk away from the event because you're probably going to start another one. Um, that was a little tough for me at first to not like stay around the event. It is a little, it is a little weird, but normally there's a guy with a clipboard that has all the brackets kind of like wandering around the, uh, the area of the events. And kind of he and some of, you know, he'll have like a helper or two maybe are responsible for for calls in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it is a little weird that you walk away. But, yeah, you yeah. Do. That's just how it is. Next, from Daniel Hadley, uh, says, Hello, you amazing people. Thank you for the wonderful podcast that keeps me entertained for hours on end at my warehouse job or when I'm on the road. I have a question that is less rules-oriented and more metagame-oriented. I've played MTG off and on since 1997 and have enjoyed the game in those spurts that I did play. Uh, inevitably, he ended up getting bored playing the same decks. The usual story. Taught his boyfriend how to play, who has taken the game like a fish to water, but I myself am starting again to get tired of playing the game, uh, much to his frustration. I can understand that. He says, despite all this, I am still fascinated with the rules. In fact, despite my boredom with playing, I still listen to your podcast regularly and look up the cards when you're talking about particular reactions. Yay. The rules fascinate me, and I derive huge pleasure from being the go-to person for rules and game reactions when my friends are playing. Uh, He's also the guy who makes crazy combo decks. For this reason, I thought of becoming a judge or at least a rules advisor. So my question is, do any of you have the same perchance to the rules? Whatever. Uh, As I yet also... The same... Do we feel the same? Are there judges out there like me or am I an odd singularity? Is it looked down upon? Thank you for all your time. Have a good day. So the answer is yes. And it's a little sad that Jess isn't on here because Jess is the only one of the three of us that really plays a lot. Yeah. I have I have um, less than a hundred and ten planeswalker points. That's less than me. That is a lot of us. Um, I I like to play, although I have close to a hundred decks. <laughs> okay, because I don't like playing the same deck more than once. As a rule, I tend not to play in in tournaments. I like to play casual, goofy stuff. Right. Um, but not many other people do that. Uh, they like to you know draft and you know play constructed tournament you know standard whatever and i just like to play whatever so i don't do a whole lot cj i don't think you do a whole lot no uh i've played in two ptqs 
in my life. Oh, three. I played in an extended PTQ once because I was there to judge and they gave me free entry because they had to cut me and I had my standard deck and I was like, let's do this. Yeah. And that was under the think, ELO system. <laughs> I lost a lot. And, of I, and I've, heard a, a, uh, I've heard of a judge in Europe that has never played like an L2. Oh, that's right. Never played the game at all. Never played the game at all. Just learned the rules, watched it. No interest in playing whatsoever. Um, so it's, I will say it is unusual, but it's not uncommon. Uh, no, that kind of doesn't. It's not entirely uncommon, but like as you, uh, and it's definitely not looked down upon. I mean, you're going to take a little bit of a little bit of ribbing every now and then. Yeah, but no. but I, I don't feel that I'm I'm like in somehow in some way singled out because I don't play the game all that much. I get singled out because I'm old. <laughs> um, yeah. I find that that EDH kind of fills the spot for when I want to play because that um, it it, I kind of understand where you're coming from, where you say you don't like playing the same deck twice. And I think EDH can kind of fill that role since it's all singleton. And like, I don't I don't want consistency in my games. I don't put a bunch of tutors in there. I just whatever I draw, I draw. You know what I mean? That's just how I build my decks. See, I actually do want consistency, but I want consistency with the really bad cards. (laughs) I guess like I want to I want to construct my, you know, Johnny, I want to construct my four card, five card combo and have it do something neat. Well, I think that's fine, you know, and then someone does something to disrupt it and then I get pouty. And that's why I play a different deck next game, because that deck needs to be punished because it didn't work right. So I just stick it in the box for a month or two. (laughs) All right. Next email. Uh, Answer that. uh, He's got a P.S. Oh. Uh, yeah, P.S. I went to a gaming convention focusing on gay gamers, and there was a room devoted to game uh, to card games. It was awesome to see all the gay geeks playing uh, Magic the Gathering, and I thought it was worth mentioning that the uh, LGBT community has a whole lot of MTG players. Yep. Yes. Well, we are a community that take everybody. Next show. Next up. Email. By the way, our email backlog is so long that I'm not. We're di- we're in discussions about whether or not we're going to read every email, but I can't read all of every email anymore i can say that that being said i'm probably gonna read all of this email nick govins says hey judge cast first off i'd like to say that your show is an awesome blend of rules and ever so juicy banter that i just can't get enough of i'm going to skip the next paragraph because it has disparaging remarks about other podcasts and then he says to keep up the good work he also says secondly whatever you're paying brian it isn't enough so i don't know he's making exactly as much as i am yeah well you know (laughs) now on to the questions one why does cj have so many pins in his pocket on your about the host section of your website well nick that's my judge photo and there were a lot of pins around and then i put them all in my pocket yes and also pin players ask for pins a lot and players leave behind pens yeah so you know we we pick them up because we know we're going to be asked for them so yes yeah players players are players are very very bad about and as a group players are very bad about bringing necessary things to play the game yeah. like pens and paper yeah the mtr says you're supposed to bring those but then a lot of people don't uh two <sighs> what is a rules advisor and is it worth becoming one do you want to tackle this uh sure so the rules advisor program is actually separate from the judge program it's it's kind of tangential though they could they they touch at a point so the rules advisor program is just is a is a certification that that says you're a guy that knows the rules. It's sort of like independent confirmation. So you're like, hey, I'm the rules guy. I'm really smart with the rules and I want to know how good I am. 
rules. You take the rules advisor test, you pass your rules advisor. That means that a third party, essentially Wizards, uh, um, has says, okay, you're, you're pretty good at the rules. You, you have achieved this benchmark, achievement unlocked. Um, now, what that does for you uh, actually is, uh, in, in addition to letting you know where you are in, in the rules, giving you an idea where you are, you know, giving you, a, you know, essentially a little badge of honor, um, it gives you access to what's called the L1 practice test. And that's for, for people who are interested in be, becoming judges. Because in a lot of ways, you know, if you're interested in becoming a rules advisor, for some people, that's enough, you know. I have this third party, you know, verifying that that I know my stuff. Uh, I don't need to go further. I'm not interested in running events. I'm just I'm just happy, you know, answering rules questions at my store. Um, but uh, a lot of times that is the first step to people who want to become a judge. It doesn't have to be the first step, but it does give you access to the L1 practice test. And you can start taking that. Cool. Yeah. Question the third. At a recent Wednesday night legacy, a new player came into the shop and he got paired up against the new player. And to make a long story short, would not shuffle his deck correctly. He would mana weave and then only pile shuffle. So that's not that is not sufficiently random. Uh, he says he refused to let me do anything other than cut his deck because for fear of ruining his expensive cards. Uh, there's a stone owner, store owner who acts as a judge, but he wasn't really interested or paying attention. What should Nick do in this situation? Uh... All right. So if you're if you're mana weaving only and then pile shuffling, so pile shuffling isn't really shuffling. Um, it's because when you're making if you know the position of the cards before you start to pile shuffle, then you could know the position of the cards after you pile shuffle. Um, uh, so you definitely want to do that and you definitely don't want to mana weave and then pile shuffle because you aren't randomizing your deck after. And there's really no reason to mana weave at all because you're supposed to give, you know, enough riffle shuffles to return to a random state. Um, however, as far as him not letting you do anything other than cut his deck, uh, see, the rules actually require you to shuffle his deck. Um, so you shuffle it. You don't have to shuffle it hard, uh, but it's your right to shuffle, okay? Rules require you to shuffle, so... He doesn't really have a whole lot of a whole lot to stand on. If he doesn't want you, he can request that you not shuffle so hard. Uh, but he can't actually request you not to shuffle. Yeah. Um. Now the part of the store owner doesn't really care. That's a different thing. Um. I'd I'd probably talk to the TO and and make sure that he understands that this dude is. I mean, he's stacking his deck. He might he might think that he is you know adequately shuffling, but he is not uh he is stacking his deck and he's probably doing it because there is an advantage and he's you know you know this is this is my my judge radar going off um he might actually also be using the whole expensive you know can't can't shuffle my stuff my cards are expensive thing to cover up the fact that he doesn't want you shuffling to undo his mana weaving yeah sure okay it could just be that he's a jerk um or he could be a cheating jerk so, uh, yeah, uh, I would I would uh, uh, talk to the store owner, probably not when he's doing that war machine gaming stuff. Huh. But um, 
Yeah. All right. Our next email comes from Martin. He says, first off, I love your show. It is a show I look forward to most on MTG Cast each week. Your show has helped me be able to answer most rules questions that come up with my casual group of friends. I wanted some clarifications on how this interaction works. If I act of treason, so gain control until the turn, a symbiotic beast. So when symbiotic beast dies, uh, you put four one one green insect creature tokens into play and then sacrifice it. Uh, and then if he sacrifices the symbiotic beast to whatever card, who gets the tokens? Thanks for any help, and I can't wait till the next judge cast comes out. Okay. Um, well, you controlled the symbiotic beast when it dies. Uh, dies triggers look back in time at the moment of death. The moment just before it died, uh, it was your beast. So you control the trigger, and if you control the trigger, you get the dudes. Simple enough. Yeah. Also, um, we don't we don't come out each week. No, Martin, no. Fortnightly. Fortnightly. Yes. I say fortnightly because there's some confusion as to the meaning of biweekly. Ah, uh, yes, because it's either every every other week or twice a week. Yes. Yes. Bi-monthly. Bi-monthly has the same problem. Yes. Now, I think I think semi-weekly is twice a week and bi-weekly is every two weeks, but people aren't sure of that. So anyway. When you say people, who are people? I guess it includes me, doesn't it? I guess. Because I know for a fact what fortnightly means, so I say fortnightly. All right, next email. Last one. Last one for today. For today. Forever. From John Bryan. Hey, Judge Cast. Love the show. I found it very helpful as both a player and an aspiring judge. Three quick questions for you. Uh, three for Like Cerberus. <laughs> yeah, it's just question... You know, here's one question with three parts to it. What? You know, a train is traveling 38 miles. <laughs> no. <laughs> what are y'all or side events at Grand Prix run at? The smaller prizes impl- implies it'd be regular, but some other text. They're regular. Next. Uh, okay, all right. I guess that's not fair. Well, no. There are bigger events that can be uh, competitive events, but all of the, the little eight-man things, they're almost always regular, REL. And then if, if there's like a, you know, like a bigger tournament, usually those might be competitive. It, it depends on the tournament. Generally, two-headed giants always run at regular, um, but any other large tournament might be competitive. Next question. Adam and Nicole are in game two of a match at competitive REL. Adam draws his card and notices that the next card in his deck doesn't have a sleeve. He flips it over, revealing a beast token that he accidentally shuffled in after the last game. They call a judge. What happen- happens? Uh, okay. So this this could be good or could be bad. I'll, I'll explain both. So tokens are, are never... Tokens aren't cards. So you don't have... So as far as it being in your deck... Um... It, it no, it's not. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't count as a card in your deck. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So here's the here's the where it could be bad though. Okay. When you counted out your cards, uh, uh or when you were shuffling and stuff like that, did you present sixty objects? And one of those objects happened to be this uh, this beast token, because uh, if you did, and the beast token really doesn't exist. I'm doing air quotes exist. Then you presented a 59 card deck. OK, typically, I actually I've seen this problem more so with when people use uh, their tote, put their tokens in the same colored sleeves as their deck. Yeah. And that's actually his his next question. So let's go ahead and move on to that. He, oh, okay. he basically asked same scenario, but this time the token is sleeved with the same sleeves as his deck. So he doesn't notice until he actually draws the token. Yeah, it's it's the same. It's the same thing. Um, uh, actually, in the in the second scenario where it didn't have a sleeve, I'd probably call a judge before you just flip the card over. Because what if it wasn't a token Ooh, yeah right? actually i find this wording weird because all all beast tokens don't have a magic back so you would know immediately well yeah there there are some let me let me think here there are some tokens in some of the the dual decks like 
this came up with the elves versus goblins dual deck. Yeah. There's some elf tokens and some goblin tokens that have magic backs. Yeah, and now I think about it, the unglued tokens, I think, also had magic backs. Right. They had magic backs, I think. And then I think there's like some soldier tokens or something like that. Or maybe some, maybe like a beast token like the Garuk versus Liliana mm-hmm. dual deck might have a magic back. All right. So it's it's possible, but it's really unlikely to a have a deck with uh, a token with a magic back uh, and it shuffled into your deck. It's much more likely to have it in a sleeve and have it shuffled in. But yeah, it's basically if you draw a token, uh, hope. Uh, yeah, it's if you draw a token, that card doesn't count. It doesn't exist. Hope you had a 60 card deck once that card was removed. Yeah. And the, the only okay. thing I add to that is I, I would ask them not to keep the tokens in the same color sleeves. Yes. Just to prevent this exact situation. You know what? The next question is called a quick one. Let's do it real quick. Oh, it's going to have like nine parts to it. From Chris Meyer. Hello, best podcast in the whole interwebs. This situation came up at an FNM and I just wanted to make sure it was a correct call. Pitchburn Devils, which is when Pitchburn Devils dies, deals three damage to start creature or player, is enchanted with a Mark of the Vampire, which gives a plus two, plus two, and lifelink. Pitchburn Devils dies a horrible death. Will the controller gain three life after Pitchburn Devils dies? Ability resolves. I think the answer is yes. Am I correct? Yes. Yes, you are correct. So, so the game looks at the Devils right before it left the battlefield. It had lifelink at that point in time. You're going to gain three life. All right. Yeah. That makes us that caught up to August 31st. No. And just as spoilers, let's 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 read some of the titles of these. Cats, Angels and Guild Leaders, uh I like, Confusion. I like more Jin Illuminatus questions. Oh yes. <laughs> I can never have enough Jin Illuminatus questions. That was that was um and then we got an email from a guy named the Chad. <laughs> I like everyone's favorite card, and then he mentions Spectral Searchlight, which I'd never even heard of before <laughs> this card. Alright. <laughs> There's there's our teaser. Oh, and also please moderate JudgeCast56. Ooze it or lose it. <laughs> Fun. Oh yeah. How do we how do we do that? We get those emails. I have no Is that... idea. I know how to Is moderate that... them, but I don't know how to do what he's asking us to do in that one. But anyway, let's 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 finish. Let's wrap this up. Uh, if you want to contact us out there, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast. Like follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast and visit our website at judgecast.com where you can see that lovely picture of me with a bunch of pins in my shirt. These are writing pins, not like needles. Ryan, anything else to add? Any, any, anything Greeky? Uh, no, not really. Neither. All right. This, this is I'm I'm excited for this set. Yeah, I am too. I I think it looks cool. It's 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 interesting just the whole with the whole type changing things. Mm-hmm. You know the the whole devotion changing this type and the bestow changing the types on the on the on the, the stack. I'm you know the the rules nerd in me is looking forward to all the questions of players trying to break bestow and and devotion stuff like that Mm -hmm. you know and trying to find like weird interactions where it's like oh well i have uh this card and this card and this card and and uh all this other stuff and mycosynth lattice and humility and yeah uh, and then a lot of complexity was spent on uh on bestow in this set so so a lot of the other cards aren't that complex you know, heroic is not generally complex and all that. Oh, and it seems it seems like bestow just kind of works. It's kind of one of these things where it's like, if you want to get funky with the details, 
sure, but for the most part, if you don't want to put a whole lot of brain space into it, just it just works like you want it to. To clarify, you said funky there, right? I did. Okay, I say that so I don't have to edit later. So everyone, oh, you mean if you if you didn't clarify, then yeah, I you would have had to have edited. Correct. How's that? Work? It just does, much like bestow. If I'd said the other word, it wouldn't have made any sense. I know. All right. <laughs> You done? Were we done? I don't get your logic. All right. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the Brian and CJ Double Power Hour. Uh, I'm CJ Trader. I keep it fair. I'm Brian Prillo, and I keep it funky. (laughs) Nice. Now my dog is looking at me. All right. All right. Osmotaz Bookshank. I don't know what that means, but I love it.